0: In paragraph 308 of the work Divine Providence, Swedenborg writes that our self is not really one or another kind of receiver, since it is nothing but the quality of its own receptivity. When we say the self, no one hears anything but a being that lives on its own and therefore thinks and intends on its own. Yet there is no such self in us, and there cannot be. This week, Inside Off the Left Eye, we wade into the paradox of autonomy at play in our relationship to God. We've long thought to make a show on the topic, and now we're plunging in. With the help of Dr. Jonathan Rose, we'll explore the law of our freedom and then travel to 1765 when Swedenborg had a fateful layover in Gothenburg This Week in History. Hey, Curtis Childs. What's going on, Chelsea? I am excited to be here with you to explore another potential show topic for the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel. And yet, it just never quite got off the ground. But these things, these ideas have been sitting in potentia for so long. And and so we get to dig into another one together.
1: Yeah, we get to see, was it a bad idea or just ahead of its time?
0: Yeah, so we have a number of these documents that I went and searched for and found, and have just been choosing ones that to me, grab my attention and just feel like, yeah, let's give this one, you know, a second chance at life. And so on the on one of these long lists, this uh, old topic brainstorm set this phrase, and I don't know who wrote it. I have no recollection of doing it myself or maybe it was you or Karen Childs, I'm not sure, it says, We have no idea what we're doing. And then in parentheses, it says, start as show, expand to human race. Really, the Lord is the doer. Close parenthetical. I
1: think I wrote that.
0: Yeah. Oh, we're lucky then. Because it's a kind of disjointed...
1: Brainstormy thing that I like to write. And also that expansion from one level to the next and that like shirking of responsibility for actions. It just smells like a Curtis (laughs) thing, but who
0: knows? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. The first line, we have no idea what we're doing. That's just always true. Yeah. It was probably particularly true at the moment. It's still true. And yet, yeah, it really lands on this really the lord is the doer and i went ahead and did a little bit of gathering of a few quotes that i could find that give us some insight into this concept because it is sort of one of those ideas that you run into i mean in a lot of philosophical systems but especially but very much so in swedenborg is this uh you know theological idea that the lord is the doer you know and how do we participate in that is a whole conversation so we never, we never have made a show on this topic particularly, so we could explore now this subject. You you in? You want to do it?
1: I'm in. I'm excited to see how this turns out, because how do you make a show about how we don't do anything? It <laughs> probably wouldn't pull that well with people. People sort of feel like they do do things, and they take some pride in that. Um, yes. But I do love the idea of, let's not just putter around the edges in theology or stuff you can stick in a box in a church building on Sunday. Let's go right at the root of our perceived existence that we don't really do anything. I, I always like taking that on.
0: I know. It's definitely a little bit of a, you know, paradox of sorts. And so going from sort of a big picture, quote wise, that I have these passages, down to a much more like granular and maybe even practical level. Here's this first quote that like has the word the doer in at least one translation. And this is from um, conjugal love number eight. And it's from a conversation with angels that Swedenborg is recording. And so it just jumps right in saying, hearing this, whatever happened previously, they all asked, what is delight of the soul and whence is it? And so then the angel is replying. It says, the angel answered, delight of the soul is from love and wisdom from the Lord. Love is the doer, and it acts by means of wisdom. The two, therefore, have their settled abode indeed, which is use. The delight flows from the Lord into the soul and descends through the higher and lower ranges of the mind into all the bodily senses where it fulfills itself. Joy then becomes joy and is eternal from the eternal being whence it is. So... You know, interesting phrasing there, but I love that that little pithy line. Love is the doer. That's a pretty good definition, right? Yeah,
1: it certainly is. It makes its abode with wisdom in usefulness, and suddenly mm-hmm. we're talking about joy. That this is going to be fun to to align with this system of of what's really the doer, and that. All love is coming from God. So that, I mean, I can get on board with joy.
0: Yes. Yes. And so the Lord, God, is love itself. By saying love is the doer, you can be just saying God is the doer, you know, the source of love itself. And so, so here's another number from Secrets of Heaven. So this is actually part of the unpublished NCE translation that I have here, and it gets a little more personal, but listen for that quality of everything's coming from the Lord, so or from God. And so here's, here's what it says. Just as the world ought to serve heaven, our outer earthly part ought to serve our inner spiritual part. In fact, our outer earthly part was created to serve because it does not live on its own, so it cannot do anything under its own power only under the power of the inner spiritual self. That is, under power the Lord exercises through the inner spiritual self. The Lord performs goodness and truth through our quote-unquote heaven, or in other words, through our inner dimension. After all, everything good and true comes from the Lord, so much so that anything good or true in us is the Lord himself. So that's another one of those numbers that just kind of blows your mind because Swedenborg doesn't just stop at the, it all comes from the Lord, but it is the Lord in you. And, you know, going so far as to say the Lord is performing goodness and truth through our inner dimension, you know, that this is happening to us. I don't know. How does that land with you?
1: Well, it seems to me like that's, that's how you can make the claim that we are to come to love God. Because if if all the good and true things that are coming out of all the people that you've met, that is not just it's performed by the Lord and mm-hmm. is the Lord that you've met the you're meeting the Lord all the time. You're understanding yeah, yeah. the essence of the Lord. You're interacting with that. That yes, it, and you can definitely love that and see it in contrast with the, the evil and false things that come mm-hmm. out of us and that we experience, and. Mm-hmm given that it's really easy to fall in love with the lord because that that is stuff is so obviously beautiful and helpful and kind and everything that we that we can find admirable so i like that and that's cool and it also i don't know gives a new shape to this idea that in heaven it's all about giving props to the lord give credit to the yes. lord that's what everybody's obsessed with rather than I think on earth we have like individual uh, human credit obsession. You know, we're, we're obsessed yes, with yep. how, how good are people at doing things, whose idea was that, who, who deserves what from it. But if if that's really true, that everything worthwhile that comes out of us is the Lord's performance, then of course it gives everybody a common plane to, or a common uh, a focal point Yes. Uh, yeah. Of course. We we all like that thing. The another you know, thing that does everything that's good and everything you, that's mm-hmm. ever been awesome in in your life and everyone's life. Oh yeah, I like that too. That's the same thing. That think about the cohesion that brings to conversations and things.
0: Yes. And these these sort of numbers that get at that idea of that sort of soul source of of goodness. I feel like take us so far. You know, I can feel us going further and further out into the sense of like, wow, you know, we essentially can't do anything on our own, like with our own power. It all comes from the Lord and all goodness comes from the Lord. It can feel so sort of um like we're just floating off into space, but there is a quality where uh it gets balanced because there is an aspect of our participation. So I think it's interesting how this number first sets it up with this analogy of, well, just like your inner self has to be the one that rules over your outer self uh, or that's when their alignment is, you know, most productive and whole. So that sort of suggests, okay, that's happening within me. Like, okay, maybe that both of those parts are me, but then it says that layers on to that same dynamic where you have God in us that is the one who's doing anything. And we are the ones who are receiving from God and just uh, living from God as you can imagine your outer self is from your inner self so it's interesting yeah. that it kind of bridges both of those and yeah there's this so sort of the furthest out in terms of like mind bending perspective on this I think is this number from Divine Providence 293 that Swedenborg even is saying this is how angels understand it which you know often feels like Okay, you're going beyond my, you know, ability to comprehend uh, this this concept, but just see, uh, I want to hear what, what you think about this one. So, oh,
1: this will be easy for me to understand.
0: There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call on your angel, your angelhood. Yeah. I may add what angels think about volition and intelligence. It is their opinion that none of us has even a grain of volition or prudence that is actually ours. If there were such a grain in anyone, neither heaven nor hell could stand, and the whole human race would perish. The reason they give is that heaven and hell are made up of millions of people, all the people who have been born since the creation of the world. Heaven and hell are arranged from top to bottom in a design that makes each a unity. If there were a single grain of volition or intelligence that belonged to anyone, that unity would not be possible it would be torn apart and with it would go the divine form that can stand and endure only when the Lord is absolutely everything and everything else is absolutely nothing. Another reason they give is that thinking and intending autonomously is divinity itself, while thinking and intending from God is humanity itself. So, that's the whole God is the doer, you know. Only yeah. God can even think and do anything,
1: right? Yes, and it so- it could sound a little bit shocking, uh, but I think it's it's shocking to us because the opposite, which is that it's totally plausible that we could each have our own volition and discernment, and I I can feel that I do have mine. Seems true, but I think th- the more that that, w- but if. If the initial premise is something that's that's obviously ridiculous, to totally um, rebuff it doesn't sound that weird for us to say. Well, wait a second. It, we we could all have a piece of. Uh, intrinsic consciousness, I think the more we understood about the nature of what this reality we're in is, and the more we understood about what consciousness is and what it means to have a single world that all of us can coexist in simultaneously and interact in, uh, let alone one that that has all the specifics of being able to develop to eternity and all that, I think it would probably be hilarious to suggest that you could have multiple points of intrinsic beingness within that. What the angels are saying there is probably just really common sense. If if yes. we understood enough,
0: yes. And it's so satisfying even just to read it or hear it. Like that, I feel like there's something in me that kind of gets it, even if I can't, you know, can't compute it at the same time. And so how that ends, that like thinking and intending from God is humanity itself. Is that you know there still is something that is thinking and intending from God as if of ourselves, because it can feel like, well, how do I participate in this thing? But Swedenborg is great at bringing it down to the level of, you know, tangibility, you know, like action and practice. And so here's here's a number from later on in Divine Providence 321 that, that kind of grounds it again a little bit if we've been off in sort of the outer reaches of space. Um, so he writes... If we reflect on the evils in ourselves, which is the same as self-examination, and abstain from them, then we extricate ourselves from hell, turn our backs on it, and make our way into heaven, where we see the Lord face to face. We may say that we are doing this, but we are doing it in apparent autonomy, and therefore from the Lord. So that apparent autonomy is this crux that we That's how we participate in this dynamic. We've sort of painted a pretty broad picture of this whole concept. And I wonder, will you join me now and we'll go maybe uh, bug Dr. Jonathan Rose and get his input? Because I'd appreciate his uh, perspective on this concept.
1: Yeah, I, I think given what we've talked about here, Dr. Rose cannot stay silent. He's got to weigh in on this.
0: Knock, knock. Dr. Jonathan Rose, are you there? Hey there. Come on in. Oh, thank you. So yet again, here Curtis and I are to bring to you our conundrum of sorts, or really just our pondering of this concept of God as the doer. You know, the only one who has that Swedenborg even says autonomy is divinity itself. And that idea that only God has real autonomy and we, the rest of us, live from the Lord with this apparent autonomy and it's such a huge concept. So we, I'd love to know any any thoughts you have on it or any anything that kind of also gives us insight into how we how we participate in that, you know, or what what that's like. So
2: Oh, that's awesome. I, I have this little feature on my office that there are Louver's in the walls that open up when there's an interesting conversation going on in the hallway. And Bloomberg Foundation
0: Labs built that for you. Yeah,
2: I did hear some of what you were talking about. Um, It's according to the interests of the person who's in the office and so on.
1: There you go. It's It's TC seventeen, right? Those are those are awesome.
2: Exactly. (laughs) So I bumped into a statement. Uh, in Swedenborg's works in Secrets of Heaven that I've been editing um, that has just been haunting me all week and it'll be very interesting to explore with you how this relates to that theme. At the, on the face of it it almost seems the opposite but I think there's a very cool something hidden in there. The short story is, this is a quote from Secrets of Heaven 1937 subsection 7. Okay. The Lord... Never forces anything on anyone. Mm, now that was the so thickens, yeah, yeah, so sort of definite, and it's really amazing because I've been thinking about how much human beings force things on each other in various, you know, often trying to arm twist or, you know, yes, I've been listening to an audio book about how they get people to, to flip, you know, this kind of thing, and and uh, all this coercion and pushing and shoving. Very interesting to think the Lord never forces anything on anyone. And mm. why don't I just read this little quote, and then we can Great. talk about it a little bit. So Swedenborg's been talking about how much freedom there is in the idea of compelling yourself. Oh, yeah. And then he says, compelling ourselves is not the same as being compelled. No good ever comes of being compelled, (laughs) which is pretty amazing. But as, for instance, when one person forces another to do good, you know, there's been an idea around forever, just, you know, just make them do this or that, and, uh, and why doesn't God just make people be good and... Uh, Swedenborg continues, what's being referred to here as self-compulsion grows out of a freedom invisible to the person because the Lord never forces anything on anyone. This is the source of the universal law that all seeds of goodness and truth are planted in freedom. Mm. Otherwise, the soil would never come to receive or nurture goodness. There could not even be any soil in which the seed could grow. So what it got me thinking in the context of your conversation was that part of the Lord, part of Godness is that freedom. And so that gift from the Lord is continually given to us. I mean Swedenborg says that numerous times that Mm -hmm. freedom and rationality are granted to everybody doesn't matter if you've been down in the lowest hell for 10,000 years. It's still granted to you at every moment. Um, there's always freedom. There's always rationality uh, being granted to us. And, um, and so that is something of the Lord, but it does show how important it is. What, what Curtis was just saying, that we've got to be active because you could take that idea of God being the only doer to mean that we should just be passive. Swedenborg talks about people who I would say in modern parlance kind of go with the flow, just whatever flows in they just go with it and he marvels at how, um, uh, I don't know how to say it nicely, useless people like that are in in the world of spirits because whichever way the wind blows, if it's good, oh, they're good today. Oh, now it's bad, and they're bad tomorrow. And and, um, uh, the system wants us to have more uh, kind of mission-driven and sort of strategic, uh, here's what I'm going for, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm for, this is what I'm against, you know, that kind of thing. And so, even though he's the only one doing it, The freedom is part of it. I can almost not think when I'm thinking here, but but the freedom is part of it, and it's done with our freedom in mind so that his doing flows through all this freedom. He's in that freedom. He is that freedom. He's the only one who really has that freedom. And so uh, it's a total opt-in situation. I mean, it fits very well with that teaching that the Lord never casts anyone into hell, you know, because the yeah. Lord never forces anything on anyone. Uh, right. If, if you're ready, you, you choose it. If you're clear, fine. If not, why don't we hang around for another month and see how you feel, <laughs> you know? And,
1: uh, uh, so what do you guys think of that? There's There's a lot of feelings that come up because, you know— we're all in situations pretty constantly where we want to force people to do things. Like, Come on, just stop doing that. Drive. Don't do, don't go that fast. Going too fast. Right. Uh, get out yes. of, get out of my way. How can you say that? This I can't believe this person said that on Twitter. You, you just want to stop everyone from doing everything, and that's <laughs> it's like noble and and dauntingly accommodating to think that God does that. And there's it's it's you know it's a it's a nuanced thing because. There are certain things we're forced to do, like, by circumstances, there are certain... I mean, I can't go and buy a private island and live there. Reality has forced me not to be able to do that. I can't fly, like, physically. So there's, like, limitations, but I think it's talking more about this all-important level of, of the soul and what we love that you just can't compel there, so quite fascinating.
0: And I think Mm. like the whole, uh, I think this is why this sort of a topic is a tough one to do a show on because that's the nature of paradox. There is such a paradox going on here so that even when you mention the going with the flow phrase, Jonathan, I feel like that lines up though with that quality of, well, when you're choosing to go with God's flow, you know, like when there is that engagement, then that is the optimal, you know, like paradigm of being in the flow, but that is assuming or incorporating that kind of engagement where you're, you're choosing, you're, you're this active participant that then is flowing, you know, has like, you're doing something. So then this fuel can come in that, you know, God's goodness and everything leading you and working in the flow. So it's, it's so um, interesting that it's, it's just totally that paradox.
2: It, it, you make a great point. And the, um, uh, that scripture in the New Testament about let your word be yes, yes, no, no, whatever's more than this comes of evil, mm-hmm. um, that seems to have been, uh, Swedenborg writes a number of times, there's one passage toward the end of Apocalypse Explained and uh, other places in Divine Providence where he talks about how when he describes to other spirits, other people, that things flow in, they say, well, then there's no you left. And he says, no, right. when I realized that, I was for the first time really alive. But mm-hmm. his thing is that he recognized that things are flowing in, and all he is a choice. Yes. I, I think what Swedenborg was criticizing about the those particular kind of go-with-the-flow people is that if a bad idea flows in, they oh, this is flowing in. I should just do it. Yes. You know? And all you need is a no. You need a yes and you need a no. <laughs> I love and, that. Yep. You know, and, and when you can see that uh, no, that would be a bad idea. I realize that's flowing in. It's probably from hell. Uh, I'm not going to do it. You know, th- that's all you need to, to um Sort of set up that channel or something. Uh, that yeah. negative thing that he was describing. Yeah, it's not that, because being in the zone, you know, when you're, when the Lord is flowing in and the angels can apparently even feel it, you know, it's their greatest joy. Right. Uh, uh, but they're very clear about what they're against or they can't get fooled, you know, into doing something they didn't intend. Uh, their freedom also in, includes that choice
1: it kind of strikes me as being a little bit like consuming goods so the goods the things that we have in our lives i'm looking here at like recording equipment and cellular telephones and the clothes that we have and the food that we eat they all flow into us like we didn't i didn't make this laptop i didn't make this microphone i didn't make the f- the food that is in my refrigerator but I can, and to try to say, well, I'm I'm going to have it be all me, really, if you reduce it down to even like the raw materials needed, I would barely be able to do anything. And even then, mm-hmm. I'd just be picking it out of nature. I can't really plant a seed and say, uh, well, look at me, I made lettuce. Well, you know, you didn't make it. You you, you played a little part in it. So, um, <laughs> but you can do like conscious consumerism and say, well, I, I want to support this company and not that company. Because I like something about how this company is carrying itself in the world, or I want to buy this kind of food instead of that kind of food because it's better for me or for the environment or whatever it is. So it's sort of like that's that's that agency is when you're choosing, but you're going to have to be choosing because that's just the nature of of things. They're these big complex processes that lead to all the things around us. So you can't. It's not an individual effort. It's a group effort
2: that's what differentiates us from god that different people make different choices and you can see this in very young children they're they're already you know their favorite word is no and and uh yeah <laughs> uh, they're they're choosing about i want this you know here everybody if you got several children you put out some food and some say yes and others say no um they're already differentiating themselves so it's not that we are just the the same as god you know we're we're recipients and everybody gets to choose their own flavor their own kind of style
0: it's one of those things where it's a paradox to and it's mind-bending to consider it how god is the doer and yet the lord never forces anything on anyone so it's it's wild, but it's also in, so familiar that we just—it's the water we're swimming in all the time, and I guess that's like what I love is to take something that just seems so out there and then bring it down to that level of like actually, you already live and breathe and eat this stuff every day, you know.
1: <laughs> you want to get people to be excited about it and the potential of it because you can't force it on them. Because we just learned that that's ungodly and a, nothing good comes out of it. So the best thing we could do is really sit with it and process how it could be joyful. Use a lot of sort of metaphors, explainers. I think cast a vision of what uh, what it would be like to be a person if we had these kind of beliefs. And if that's the way we thought about mm-hmm. ability, what that would do to the way we saw each other, I think you'd have to show uh, people what what good can come from it. Because as we we're saying, like love, love is the doer. So if people come, you can say this idea at people, but if people come to love it, that's going to do the work of, of getting people to turn in their freedom to it and let God do everything.
0: That's right. For you, anyone listening, would you want to hear a show on this topic? Let us know by tagging us at off the left eye with your thoughts in a post on facebook or twitter or instagram or just email us at off the left eye at gmail.com so thanks uh curtis and jonathan and now will you both come with me to our swedenborg foundation labs time travel machine to go see where swedenborg was this week in history
1: dessert yeah
0: that's right yeah let's do it (laughs) All right. So, Curtis and Jonathan, we get to go on a little time-traveling adventure this week to see where Swedenborg was this week in history. All right. And, yes, so in our episode about the Gothenburg trial, which was a few weeks ago, we briefly mentioned how Swedenborg met these two people who had become critical players in his life and times, the doctors Gabriel Bayer and Johann Rosen. And this week, though, in history is the week that he met those two guys and, you know, their fates were entwined forever afterwards. So it was this month in August of 1765. And so we're going to go on a little time travel to see what those... Uh, you know, his meeting them was like and with a couple of anecdotes that we have that have, you know, survived to this day. So we know that Swedenborg left Stockholm at the end of July and he travels by carriage to Gothenburg, which is where, you know, that's the port city because he's on this journey where he's going to be heading to Amsterdam ultimately uh, and under his arm, metaphorically, he has the text of his exegesis work on the book of Revelation called Revelation Unveiled, which he was going to Amsterdam to have printed. And but as we've mentioned before, this like trip to Gothenburg, he might end up he has to wait for the sailing, you know, conditions to be right for him to head off to Amsterdam. So he ends up being in Gothenburg for a pretty much a whole week. Um, So I think it's like it takes him about a week to get to Gothenburg from Stockholm. So he lands there around August 6th, I believe. And then he ultimately sails for Amsterdam on August 12th. And so it's in that time that he gets invited to dine with Dr. Rosen. And who else is at the dinner of many other people is this Gabriel Beyer. And as we covered before, they are very interested in Swedenborg and know of his, you know, this, the new church theology that he's writing about and about the spiritual, you know, interactions that he has, his spiritual experiences. And so they invite him to dine with them the next day and even the day after that. And so basically Swedenborg ends up having his whole week be full of these You know, networking (laughs) evenings and meals uh, with these people. And so, uh, if anyone wants to read more about it directly, you can. I recommend um, the work, The Swedenborg Epic by Cyril Sigstedt. And chapter 35 is where she covers Swedenborg meeting doctors Bayer and Rosen. We have from a letter from a guy named Jobin Gothenius, who writes to a guy, C.C. Yorwell. This Gothenius writes about this time of when Swedenborg was in Gothenburg for this week. And here's, I'm going to read you the actual, you know, uh, text that he writes where he sort of corrects himself partway through, but it just is this fascinating little window into what that time was like. So uh, Gothenius is writing to Yorwell, and he says, "'My dear librarian, Swedenborg was here and ate daily on the matter. Forgive me, this was somewhat hastily said.' What I meant to say was that he was continually invited out. He afterwards departed by boat for Holland. Opinions among us very greatly concerning him. So that's this little account where clearly Swedenborg is uh, stirring things up in Gothenburg. All I know is Rosen and Bayer, you know, their opinion of Swedenborg is just improving by the day. (laughs) Whereas some of these other people, I imagine, are maybe a little... more skeptical or wanting to reject the ideas entirely.
2: I might just add that it was that same town of Gothenburg, Uppsala, which um, attacked Swedenborg in early 1769. Not That's that right. much later, you, you know. So, th- like three and a half years later, uh, some of his most uh, fervent enemies are yes. from that town. So I don't know if any of them were at that dinner. Uh, it's very interesting that you'd have people having this opposite reaction. Uh, yes. Not surprising, but extremes. You know, that town had, uh, I mean, Bayer and Roseanne were some of the people who were the just all in. They stood up against attack and they you know they they were really taken with swedenborg's message and and even paid a price professionally for it that's right and you have others who are just become more and more dead set against it
0: oh yes like if if you were to make a movie of this part of swedenborg's life or this you know with it ultimately around the gothenburg trial you know this is where you would have this you know this these dinners out and the people who are there and the, you know, it's quite a plot thickener where you have these people who are getting more and more uh, opposed to each other in terms of Rosen and Bayer being for it and other people are more fervently against it. So, um, and it,
2: it implies too that there's both having dinner with Swedenborg and then there's probably got to be some chat during the day where you find out, well, what did you think? Well, what did you think? Oh, I thought that was terrible. Well, what did you think? And right, yes. I don't know yes. if they'd be having that conversation right while he's there or whether they kind of catch up the next day and find out, oh, there's a, there's a pretty deep division of opinion here.
0: That's right. Well, so that's what we're going to get a little bit of a taste of. So first, at one of these large dinners, Bayer and Rosane invite Swedenborg to dine with him the next day. But I think this is—no, and then and then it's at that dinner that um, they—Bayer asks Swedenborg to give him a written statement concerning his doctoral position, like about the new church. And Swedenborg is willing to do this, and so they're going to meet the next day for dinner. So Swedenborg brings a paper with him where he's written this statement to Bayer, and there's this account that uh, Swedenborg comes in and is handing this pe- paper to Bayer, and he's trembling with tears flowing down his cheeks, saying, My friend, from this day, the Lord has introduced you into the society of angels, and you are now surrounded by them. So this amazing tender moment um, between Bayer and Swedenborg, where it seems like Swedenborg really met somebody and and buyer you know never faltered like he was just dedicated and like swedenborg's right hand for the rest of their lives
1: true i want that i want to have the angel thing that he talked about there yes <laughs> i want that it sounds like today it can happen in one day maybe you're if you're primed enough for it so <laughs> that would be nice to sign up for
0: I know, and it's one of those moments where Swedenborg is saying you're surrounded by them. You know, like so Swedenborg being able to sort of see by your spirit. Uh, it's one of those interesting examples where that happens. So, the other fascinating anecdote from this week that we have is something that was ultimately printed in a Swedish daily paper, written by the grandson of Doctor Rosine, who writes this story that we know that it had to have been during this week when Swedenborg wasn't Gothenburg in 1765. So um, I'll read it to you guys and you tell us all what you think. So the incident took place in the house of my grandfather. So that's the Dr. Rosen, the lector in Gothenburg. I have heard it related by my father. It was an evening at Dr. Rosen's when several of his colleagues in the gymnasium and also Swedenborg were present. As usual at that time, the conversation among the learned gentlemen was carried on in the Latin language. My grandmother, so Dr. Rosane's wife, was also in the room with her knitting and, of course, did not understand anything of the discourse. In the meantime, there arose a dispute concerning some quotation from a certain book, which at the occasion was not at hand. My grandfather complained that he did not have the book in his library, wherefore the question would have to be left unsettled. No, then said Swedenborg, you have it, not here, but up on the loft. He then described clearly on what shelf and in what order the book stood. Hereafter, my grandfather, wondering how Swedenborg could know the old book on the loft, but still not wishing to neglect his advice, told my grandfather to go up on the loft and look for the book. She got a lantern and went up on the loft. Hereafter, the conversation was continued. When she came down again, she had with her the book. So I actually had never heard that before doing the research for this episode. This is my first time. Yeah,
2: is it? Yep. I had heard that. I used to do a section on another show called Minor Miracles, and this is one of the minor miracles. It's a cool oh. <laughs> story and paints quite a picture, doesn't it, of um the gentleman discussing in Latin and, and the and the woman yes. knitting away not understanding what they're talking about and and then they send her up to get the book and and um but the the cheek, I mean, if I were hosting a party for someone to tell me you know, maybe I didn't want people to know that I had the book. It would be better I know. <laughs> to leave the question in midair, But for one of my guests to say, you have it, but not here in the library. It's upstairs in the loft, uh, third shelf on, on the left next to that large blue volume and, you know, <laughs> or something. And, yes. Uh, it's uh, And so I think, I just imagine if I put myself in that scene, that the moment that the woman comes downstairs with the book— it's not about the book anymore. Yes. You know, it's about Swedenborg, and how did he know the book was up there? He's uh, traveling. He, he's he's not a native. He doesn't know anything about it.
0: Yeah, had never—this was, a, I mean, potentially the first night that he's meeting Rosane, or one of yeah. those nights, so very new. Yes. So a,
2: attention-getting parlor trick, you know? It's <laughs> just like, who is this guy, you know?
0: Another— phase
1: or facet to swedenborg's relationship to superpowers i know <laughs> and his so if if all this stuff is true which i just you know my first instinct is like yeah that's people recorded that because it really happened they didn't probably mm-hmm. stand a profit from making it up what, he was so sparing in his use of them but would would promote with him sometimes, but also where does it fit into the whole regenerative picture? so he's talking to heaven, and heaven somehow knows this sort of stuff, but and is using it to help him make an impression of it just it raises a lot of very uh questions that I would love to know the answers to
2: I agree like how how is it I get the idea that he has this connection with the spiritual world, but you would think that the spiritual world is focused on spiritual things not on sort of library management of your personal collection yes. or something. <laughs> uh, why Why do they know that? Does he see it in his mind's eye? Uh, seems like he does. He's able to point out exactly where it is. Uh, and isn't it interesting that at that particular moment, Providence would kind of allow that to happen because he knows it's yes. going to dominate the party <laughs> like it's not like you just sort of say that and then everybody okay let's talk about what we were talking about before um yes. that, that's a that's a it puts him in a different category from other people who are there and the story's been passed down to the grandson right isn't it the grandson yes exactly yes yeah so it's sort of part of family lore like that amazing night that Swedenborg came and
0: and I do think it's got to be providence, you know, like I just because there's times that I've had the most random kind of prescience about things, you know, like that you shouldn't. And I feel like people often, you know, those kinds of things where it's like, you know, someone's looking at you and then you look and yeah, they're looking at you, you know, or you do think of the person and then they call or you think this person is right. going to walk around the corner and then it happens. It just feels like well, that was useless. Like, what does that matter? You know, it's nothing, no heavyweight, you know, uh, kind of clairvoyance going on. And yet it just sort of is peppered throughout existence. And so there's a there's a part of me that just feels like that's the kind of providence that God is always working with, where there's that potential like, oh, a dream here or a, a this there, and and it can seem so unnecessary. And yet, I, you know, could imagine anyway, is just that, you know, Providence has it knowing that Swedenborg is just meeting Rosen and Bayer here for the first time and how that's gonna, you know, just that it's okay in this context for him to have that sort of knowledge um, and, uh, you know, and then that, then it just sort of goes on from there. I don't know. It's so interesting.
2: It's worth adding, I think, that Swedenborg himself, as far as I know, never told these kind of stories. Occasionally, people would even ask him and he would say, oh, I don't, you know, it it only shows that I'm connected to the other world, which I've already said in my book. So, what does it add? Yes. Um, Yep. uh, These all, and there are a lot of anecdotes like that, quite a few, and they come from you know, the maid who was in the room or the grandson that heard the story and, and so on. These things had an impact on people and they carried these stories. And to me that gives it a lot more credibility than if Swedenborg said, I did this amazing thing at that party, you should have seen it. That's true. Yep.
0: <laughs> oh, that is so true. So then to to sort of top it all off and close it out, this is this trip also has this fascinating little tidbit that in another magazine or like newspaper called the Svenska Magazinet for February 1766. There's this little note under the heading of short Swedish news about the learned for the year 1765. And R. Swedenborg makes it into the list where it says... Mr. Assessor Emanuel Swedenborg has again left for Holland via Gothenburg in order to publish in that country a large work on the book of Revelation. <laughs> you know, so they're tracking his movements and, uh, and that's the, this is the week in history that they're talking about is this August 1765, early August when Swedenborg had this layover in Gothenburg that really kind of uh, was pivotal for his relationships and uh, the future of his knowledge in uh, in Sweden and the world, and especially because here's this Swedish newspaper that's they know he's going to go publish this book on Revelation, but Swedenborg doesn't put his name to that book. So there's also that quality of how You're true. People in Sweden knew who Swedenborg was and what he was publishing. That that anonymity hadn't been fully uh, broken in the rest of the world, as far as the general public goes, I guess. Thanks so much, Jonathan and Curtis. Fun to go on this uh, time travel adventure with you both. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for the,
1: the enlightening trip.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. Our goal is to make each episode entertaining, informative, and inspiring. If you feel called to support the creation of our content please go to offthelefteye.com donate to make a contribution. And I invite you this week to reflect on the quality of your spirit's receptivity. What action or conscious inaction might you undertake to align yourself with the presence of divine love and wisdom in your soul? Thank you so much for listening. I'm Chelsea Odener, and I look forward to being with you next time inside Off the Left Eye.